episode 22 of the WebJoy podcast. I'm your host, Eddie. In this podcast, we interview guests about their origin story and what makes them excited and joyful to be part of the tech community. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. There's something really vulnerable about design with Lauren Chilcote. Thank you for joining us for another episode of WebJoy. I'm excited today to have Lauren with us. Lauren, say hi to all of our friends. Yes, hi everyone. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So to start out, I always like to just talk about, hey, who are you? What do you do? Where you work? You know, just a, a brief introduction about yourself or as we have started to say, your origin story. Ooh, yeah. So my name is Lauren Chilcote. Um, I live in the Bay Area. I just moved here a little less than a year ago. I live in Alameda. And I work for Webflow as a product designer, uh, also new to Webflow, just joined about a month ago, but very excited about, about that. Awesome. Yeah, we've got, got someone who freshly moved. That's always exciting when you hear about people's transitions. <laughs> yeah, I lived in Brooklyn, New York for like 13 years and then spent a little time in Southern California. And now I'm up in the, the Bay Area. So yeah. East Coast to West Coast, but it's been good. Uh, lots of sunshine, perfect weather, and there's just fruit growing everywhere. Like all of the neighbors, <laughs> there's just like plums dripping from the sky, like passion fruit. I'm just like, what? What is this glorious bounty? <laughs> Did not have that in New York, <laughs> so I'm still like dazzled by it. Nice. So you you were just in New York before, like when you moved to California. That was for your current job. So you're also freshly landed in California. Yeah, it was for my partner's job. So I've been working remotely since early 2019. And we were sort of felt like we were ready to try something new. But I was like, I can go anywhere. So this this <laughs> is all on you. Um, and so he found a job that brought us to Southern California. It was sort of at the the early sort of pandemic days. And so we weren't able to like fly out and visit. We were just kind of like, I guess, yeah, leap of faith. We're, we're doing it. Uh, so drove across the country. And that was at a time when like everything was closed, like rest stops were closed, national parks were closed. And so I had always imagined like, oh, this epic cross-country road trip, seeing friends, stopping to see like, you know, the world's largest mailbox or all those weird things. And everything <laughs> was closed. It was just like from point A to point B as fast as we could get there. But um happy to be here now. So it worked out. It definitely is is weird to be moving cross country and making those plans during the time with everything shut down and like you can't fly out there to see things and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I've now signed two leases, both with just like, you know, bad FaceTime connection walkthroughs. And it's like, <laughs> well, I mean, it I think it checks enough of the boxes, but then now having had two experiences like driving up to a place I've never been before and being like, well, I live here now. So <laughs> I, uh, cool. <laughs> So it's been an adventure for sure. So ultimately, did the places meet your expectations, right? Or were you like sorely surprised when you moved in? You're like, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I, it's been great. I think the year that I spent in Ventura, California, which is in Southern California, just north of LA, that was sort of like in the real thick of the pandemic. And I think it's it's really hard to judge a place in the middle of a pandemic, but, yeah. um, I did, I had a hot tub, had an avocado tree, lemon tree, peach tree, <laughs> I, again, the bounty I, it blew my mind. So, you know, 
it was a weird time there. I don't know anyone there still because it's hard to meet people during a pandemic, but I had a freaking avocado tree. So, hey, you, you know, can't complain. Yeah, yeah. It was, I, I lucked out for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's the kind of journey been like for you? Where did you start out in tech? You know, what were kind of some of the highlights along your journey on your way to now being at Webflow? Yeah, I have a bit of a winding story, which I think is pretty common, but I actually went to school for fashion design. And while I was in school, I kind of knew that it wasn't what I really wanted to do, but I didn't know what else to do instead. And my family would not have been okay with me just like taking time off to figure it out. (laughs) So I graduated and I was just like, I knew I was moving to New York for some reason. I was like, New York is it, that's where I'm going. And I was like, I'm just going to get a job and, and figure it out. So I got a job. And I uh, was basically working in production at an apparel company. And I was working close by to a graphic design team. And I started becoming more interested in what they were doing. So I started teaching myself graphic design, practicing, you know, using Illustrator. Eventually, they needed a new graphic designer. And I pitched myself. And I was like, here's what I've been doing. Here's what I know. Here's what I don't know. But like, I'm really hungry for this. I would love to join you. And they picked me. So I did that for a while. I was actually designing underwear mostly. So lots of like graphics and prints for like (laughs) teenage girls underwear (laughs) or like sleep shirts and sleep pants. So it was a lot of like glitter and smiley faces and, you know, rainbows and stuff. But so it, it was really fun. But I kind of grew tired of just really long feedback loops. I was designing a year ahead of time, you know, designing artwork, creating tech specs, sending them to the factories, getting samples back. Like it was just this really long cycle and I would sort of never hear any real feedback about like how something performed. And so it was always just a stab in the dark basically every time. And I started becoming more interested in product and tech and I started teaching myself to code and like building websites was to me, it was like, this feels like a living thing. Like I can just push this code and it's up, you know, and like I can tinker all day. Whereas the apparel that I was working on, it was like a year lead time. So I ended up taking some classes because I just found myself in so many dead ends. I'm like stack overflow, just trying to figure out. And I was like, I just need people to ask questions to because I'm just like, I just, sometimes you just don't know the right question to ask. And I just needed to like explain what I was trying to do to someone. So anyways, I took some classes and then at this point started trying to get my foot in the door in the tech world. And there were lots of ups and downs with that. But eventually I convinced someone (laughs) to hire me. (laughs) I had done a bit of freelance work. And when I was interviewing with them, you know, we did the sort of show me your work, you know, tell me about this, tell me why this is good. And I actually took the opposite approach and I said, well, actually, I don't think this is great anymore. Here's what I would do differently now. I basically critiqued my own work and it was a really small startup. I think I was like the 10th or 11th person in the office and they just wanted someone who could kind of do everything. So I was like, I do front end, I do design, I'm hungry for everything. And that's what got my foot in the door. And then eventually decided to focus on design is what felt like a better fit for me. And so I don't really do much coding these days, but I think having having a bit of background there, understanding about how code works has definitely been helpful in my career. So yeah, now I'm at Webflow. Helps more people create for the web because though the experience I had learning how to how to build for the web was super valuable. It was a lot of time and effort and money. And I think it's exciting to 
sort of give more people the opportunity to do that with maybe, yeah, having to use less, less resources maybe to, to experiment and to contribute to the web. No, I love that, right? It kind of feels like the web in some ways, people can like, oh, they can create like Facebook pages or groups or whatever, or like they have to outsource to someone else to control mm -hmm. their online presence. And instead, things like Webflow actually allow them to say, hey, I'm going to take ownership of how I present myself on the internet. And like those things are really helpful in breaking down those barriers. Yeah. And it's super exciting, I think, to, you know, build a set of tools and then see all the ways that people use that to, to build something in an unexpected way. And just all their creative ways, people will use the tools at hand. So it feels like exponential, you know, creativity, sort of like, there's a set of things you can do with this tool, but the the ways that people will combine those things is sort of like infinite. And then it's exciting to see. So yeah, so I'm really excited about it. Well, so you've had quite a journey, right, doing design work. What kind of keeps you excited and interested in working as a product designer? I know you've talked a lot about culture and different things like that. What kind of stirs you up? Yeah, I think for me, the the puzzle of product design is what keeps me excited. There's there's just so many different pieces that go into it. But I think what's really energizing me now is connecting to and working with other designers. I really like seeing the way that people think about things and tease apart problems. It's just fascinating to me to see how other people's minds work. And so whether that's just observing how other people are, are doing their work or getting feedback on my own work. I'm really excited, especially at Webflow right now. There's This is the largest design team I've ever been on. So the opportunities to collaborate and learn from other people are really great. And yeah, but I think another thing that I'm really excited about is sort of intentionally building safe spaces for designers to collaborate. Because I think there's something really vulnerable about design. So you know, not everyone can look at a piece of code and say like, that's good or that's not good, but everyone can look at design and have an opinion on it. And that's not a bad thing. Feedback is great, but it means that we're open to a lot of feedback. And oftentimes like the lifeblood of a design team is a design critique. And so like, even just the name, like, you know, language is powerful. Language shapes our experience. And so like, who wants to sign up for being critiqued? <laughs> you know, like getting feedback is great, but like, wow, you know, it's, it can be really intimidating. So I've enjoyed at a couple different companies now sort of thinking about like, how do we as designers collaborate? And how can we make these spaces like really inviting safe spaces for people to contribute and ask questions and to learn from each other, as well as like, just thinking about different personalities, like some people are really extroverted and really chatty and are super comfortable, you know, thinking out loud or thinking on the spot. And then there are other people like myself who I kind of need a couple of minutes to digest and think about it. And, you know, how do you make room for both types of people or, or anyone on that spectrum? And so thinking about ways that we can make sure that the comfortable extroverted people aren't sucking all of the air out of the room and the quieter people can have a chance to contribute as well. And I think in a remote context, it's just really interesting to think about how we can, can do that. So that's something that I've been enjoying sort of exploring and also just 
seeing how other people are approaching that too. That's awesome. Because I think one of the challenges with so many things going remote is that a lot of companies and people have just tried to do the same thing on a Zoom call that they would do in Mm -hmm. person in a single room rather than say, okay, if we had never done this before, right, how would we start today knowing that we are not in the same room? And I feel like not many people kind of pause and, and think about that, right, much less implement any of it. So two jobs ago, I was at a company called Buffer. And Buffer has been remote from the beginning. So I think the company is like 11 years old now. And I definitely feel very lucky that I had that experience because, you know, once the pandemic hit, I wasn't pushed into remote. That was just standard. And there was a real culture of experimentation. So everyone was free to raise their hand, ask questions, say, hey, maybe let's experiment with doing this a slightly different way, you know, and everyone culturally is just very open to that. And so that was sort of the first place that I I was able to kind of say, hey, like we were doing these critiques, we were doing them synchronously over Zoom. And then we also had a completely async sort of paper document that we used. But something we started experimenting with was sort of like a, a hybrid of that where someone would present design work, but then we would all kind of go quiet. We would set a timer for 10 minutes and in Figma, uh, or Fig Jam, once Fig Jam was available, just kind of take 10 minutes to gather our thoughts, you know, be thoughtful about our feedback and just leave stickies or screenshots or stickers or whatever, whatever was helpful to communicate our thoughts. And then after the timer was up, come back on and discuss. And that, that helped give space for the people like me who need a minute to just think a little bit to to have the time to do that or people who are less comfortable speaking up on a call you know they're still contributing they can still leave their thoughts but yeah that uh, that sort of hybrid format was interesting uh giving us sort of synchronous and sort of like asynchronous or just heads down time for giving feedback on each other's work which is really fun i really love that because i like you need time to gather my thoughts sometimes you know if i'm in a meeting that's say 30 minutes long and you know are trying to give feedback, I will suddenly realize all the feedback I should give at 39.5 minutes yeah. into the meeting, which is, <laughs> you know, like four and a half minutes after it's done. <laughs> right. Yeah. I definitely struggle with that myself. It's like either I just kind of force myself to to say something in the moment so that I'm a part of the conversation. And then spend the rest of the day thinking like, why did I say that? I should have said it this other way, (laughs) you know, (laughs) or I just don't say anything at all. And then I'm like, well, I'm not contributing to the conversation, you know, so like, how do I do that? So I think it's, you know, it's something we're all kind of still figuring out, but I definitely appreciate being in an environment where there's an awareness of that and an openness to kind of experiment with the ways that we work together that just because a meeting is on the calendar on this day and done a certain way, it doesn't mean that it needs to be done that way forever. We should be making sure, we should be challenging ourselves and making sure that our processes are serving us. So yeah, I'm, I'm finding that at Webflow, which is which is nice. It feels like there's a, a lot of thought and intentionality behind how the design team works together, which is great. That's great. That's always refreshing. Well, yeah, I mean, one thing we we always like to talk about during this podcast is something that brings us joy, right? Different tools, software, frameworks. So is there any particular things that you've found recently that you've really enjoyed using lately? 
Yeah. So I recently discovered, I don't think it's new, but it's new to me, this app called Libro.fm. And it's an audiobook app. So I love reading, but over the past couple of years, I've definitely just spent more time doom scrolling on my phone than I would like to admit. And I've been trying to like, kind of, t- you know, get away from that, get get back to reading. I also love podcasts, but, uh, and I subscribe to a ton, but sometimes there's just nothing that's catching my, catching my attention. And I've looked at Audible a handful of times, but every time I've looked at it, I've just found it very confusing. And I also don't really want to give Amazon more money. I read about this app, Libro.fm. And I think what makes it so cool is that they partner with local bookstores and split the profits. So while you are onboarding on the app, you select your bookstore. So there's a bookstore three blocks away from me. And when I buy books, audiobooks through Libro.fm, they get half of the profit. And I love that because even when I'm not good at reading, I still I still love going into bookstores and looking around. So I love the idea of supporting the, the local small businesses too. So that's definitely been bringing me joy. I started listening to Dave Grohl's autobiography, The Storyteller, and he's the one narrating it. So it's it's really cool hearing from the author and of course, him being musician, there's music in there too, which really makes it a, a rich experience. So very bullish on Libro.fm right now. No, I, I love that because I feel like in my heart, I want to support local bookstores, local stores, but I find myself at conflict because of the ease of like the internet, right? And it's like, sometimes you want something digitally or it's easier to order online. And it's like, you're at constant conflict because oftentimes the local stores don't have as much ease. So I love that Libro is like bridging the gap. They're like, hey, we're going to make it really easy for you to buy and listen to an audiobook, but you also get to support those local stores. So that's, that's a nice like, you know, finding a, a middle ground there for for those of us who like ease of use, which I am one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're all human. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Well, cool. We always like to kind of wrap up the episodes with kind of hearing about anything that people are involved in or sharing something that they're involved in. So is there anything that you'd like to share with the community? Yeah. So earlier this year, I joined On Deck's design fellowship and sort of to my earlier point about connecting with and learning from other designers. I've really enjoyed it for that reason. Um, been meeting lots of other design folks, either like in one-on-ones or in like group sessions, but it's been really cool to kind of see all the different paths other people have taken. Like we get, you know, we have this one career and, you know, there's so many times you think, well, what if I did this or what if I did that or should I do this or do that? And getting to to meet with people who have been on totally different journeys or made different choices and just like learning from their experiences has been really cool. So I recommend, I recommend the fellowship. It's been really good. So I think for me, I've traditionally always worked on smaller design teams where I'm like one of two or one of just a few. And so for me, having a, a larger community of designers to kind of tap into has been really valuable. So whether that's talking about processes or interviewing salaries, all kinds of things, like I now feel like I have a group of people that I can turn to for those things that I kind of didn't have before because I've always been in like smaller companies. So my network has just been smaller by default. That makes sense. Well, and it's interesting because I feel like design is an industry that has that problem even more than other things like 
even more medium to larger size companies feel like, oh, we can get away with just one or two designers. Like, I feel like Mm -hmm. design is an area where you're kind of the last ones to get more people once you have one or two in there. Yeah. I mean, even at companies where I've been one of like five designers or something, each designer has been on one product area. So this is my first time in my job of like having other designers kind of on my same team. We're working on different things, but yeah, traditionally I've I've kind of been on my own, on my team for design. And then of course, you know, having those design critiques and design jams and things to connect on. But I think just having more opportunity to connect with people from so many different backgrounds and experiences has just been, yeah, it's been great. Yeah, I think that sounds really refreshing. Well, I will include links to all these things that we've talked about in this episode in the show notes. So feel free to check out the show notes if any of this stuff popped out to you all. And Lauren, thank you so much for joining me to chat today. It's been so fun. Yeah, it's been really fun. Thanks for reaching out. Thank you for joining us for episode 22. There's something really vulnerable about design with Lauren Chilcote. You can find out more about Lauren on her Twitter at Lauren Chilcote or her website, lauren-chilcote.com. You can find links to everything we talked about in this episode, as well as a link to Lauren's Twitter and website over in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, help others discover it as well. We always love it if you give us a shout out on Twitter and your friend or coworker will love it if you tag them if you think they'd enjoy it. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter to stay up to date at WebJoyFM. Thank you for listening and we hope you have a great day.